Well, uh, it's great to be with you, and we're starting our Christmas series here. My name's Pastor Bob Kedlisic, and um, we're just talking about God's unlikely plan. And actually, the kids over in kids' ministry, they're, they're learning this month as well that I can trust God no matter what, and that God always has a plan. Although sometimes God's plan is not our plan, and it might seem quite unlikely. And so we're going to just dive into the story of uh, Mary and Joseph and the baby that is going to be born to them, Jesus. But before we do that, I just want to point out um, all the things about Mary that we don't know. All right? We don't know how dark her skin color was, right? We, we don't know. It doesn't say. We don't know her hair color, whether it was brown or black. I mean, we, we probably brown or black, but it could have been red or blonde. It doesn't say. You know, uh, how tall was Mary? Was she, you know, short or tall? We don't know. How many languages could she speak? Well, in that day, pro probably she spoke three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, but we don't know that either. How old was she? Well, we know that she had four sons and at least two daughters after Jesus was born, so she couldn't have been that old to have that many kids later, but we don't really know how old she was. We, how, how wealthy was she? What, what social standing was she in the community? Again, we don't know that people of similar social standings tended to marry each other. And with, with Joseph being a carpenter, then she was probably not super poor, but probably not very rich either. But none of these details are in there. In fact, did she, did she ride a donkey to Bethlehem? It doesn't say. We just fill in the gaps and we just make up all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with having an imagination and thinking about what it might have happened and how it might have happened. But the truth is, there, there are a lot of details that we think are important, maybe even about our own lives. You know, we might think where our social status is or how much money we have or, or how tall we are or whatever. Is, it's, it's not important to God. And it's not important to the story, which means everything that's in the story is really, really important. And I just want to encourage you as we enter this Christmas season to, on your own, go and read Matthew chapter 1, even the genealogy, Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2, and then there's another genealogy in Luke 3 that's actually Mary's genealogy. Matthew 1 is Joseph's genealogy. And, and just pay attention to what it actually says because those things are really, really important. And so we're going to start in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, you'll have to read the earlier part of the chapter to know what's going on there. The angel Gabriel appeared to Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah. Her and Zachariah, past childbearing years, never had any kids anyway. And, and then she's pregnant with, with John, the forerunner of Jesus. And, and so six months in, to her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. So there were a lot of unlikely events we're going to look at in Mary's life, starting with this one. She is engaged to a descendant of a king, of the greatest Jewish king. David. Now, that, that sounds like really, wow, that's really special. Truth is, David had a lot of kids. And then his son Solomon had 700 wives. In fact, uh, you read God's pronouncement on Solomon's life, and even though he wrote several books of the Bible, God's final pronouncement on Solomon's life was he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
And it was because of his wives and because he had all these wives. And, but 700 wives, he probably had a few kids, you know, Solomon. And so, so to be a descendant of David was not like this, you know, miraculous, wow, that's really, but it was certainly unlikely and uh, unlikely. And then also she has this angel, Gabriel, coming to talk to her. I won't ask for a raise of hands of how many of you have had angels come to talk to you, but let's just say it's unlikely. And even when we read the Bible, a lot of times we think, wow, you know, an angel appeared to talk to Abraham, and then he appears to talk to Mary. That was separated by over 2,000 years. And, and you, you add up all the appearances of angels in the Bible, and you come to believe that, boy, that doesn't happen very often over the thousands of years that the Bible's history takes place. And so Mary had a lot of unlikely events, but I would say the most unlikely of, of at least these two that we've already talked about is this third thing. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And later he repeats it again. Mary was greatly favored by God. And I think of everything, of an angel appearing, of, of marrying into a possible Jewish royalty, and of everything in her life, I think this was the most unlikely of all. Do you know what the opposite of unlikely is? Probably, Probably yeah. Normal. Normal is the opposite of unlikely. And you know what? I've found that normal stinks. <laughs> I don't want normal. Normal in America is like broke and broken. In fact, when I grew up, I thought I had a normal family. And if you've ever met my mom, you probably know that I was a very deluded child. <laughs> she is not, not a normal woman. Um, I'd say that even if she was here, but she's not. Um, but, you know, I, as I got older, I realized, man, my family is not normal in this way especially. My mom and dad loved each other, loved us, and loved God. And now they've, they've celebrated over 55 years of marriage. And they still love each other, and they still love God, and they kind of love us, too. <laughs> no, they still love us, too. And that's not normal. I wish it was. The older I got, the more I realized, why. I, I, wow, I was blessed to be in a strange and unusual family, an unlikely, an unlikely childhood. And, and this, this is what God wants for our lives. It's not only what he wanted for Mary, but he wants for each of us to have an unlikely life. And in order to have an unlikely life, we need to respond the way, and we need to be the way Mary was, favored by God. And we'll see what that means, that the character that she had in her life to be favored by God. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. This verse, four sermons on, on Christmas that I'm going to be preaching and a part of, you know, over the coming weeks and, and, and going through all those, this verse more than any, any of the other verses really has struck me. Because what is Mary's emotional state? Is she like excited and joyful? Wow, an angel's talking to me and I'm favored by God. No, no, she's confused and disturbed and then the angel says, don't be afraid. So she's afraid, confused, disturbed, and afraid. Did you know that you could be in the center of exactly where God wants you and be confused and disturbed and afraid? 
And, and, and you know, you think of Mary. The, Mary didn't know the Christmas story, <laughs> right? We, we know the Christmas story. Some of you have heard it hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times, and you've read it over and over, and, you know, you've seen the movies, and you've read the books, and, you know, and it, but Mary, she had no idea what was going on. And, you know, I'm sure when we all get to heaven, we'll be like, yeah, that's what that was about. I thought life was spinning completely out of control at that point. But, no, God, you had a plan. I was really confused. But, you know, you, and, and so Mary is, that's the state she's in. But yet, even while she's confused and disturbed and afraid, she trusts God. And uh, I, I want to stop and pause right here and just mention, um, I am a man, and so I want to talk to all the dudes here, okay? You might be maybe tempted to check out and be like, oh, this is a girl story, right? Mary, and you know, and, and if you're here and you're a guy and you think Mary has nothing to teach you, you're an idiot, okay? <laughs> Let's just be honest, sometimes we are, Right? You're an idiot because this is for all of us, okay? This isn't just a chick flick, you know, sermon here. This is for the men too. We have a lot to learn from Mary and, 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 and how she lived and how she responded to God. And, and you think about Mary's plans and hopes and dreams of her life. And again, we don't know what they are, so I guess they weren't important. And maybe it, it's left like that so we can fill in our own hopes and dreams and plans for our own lives but God's plan for Mary's life was not her plan. How do I know that? Because she didn't go like, oh yeah, right on schedule. This was, I was, my whole plan of my life was that I would be the mother of the Savior of the world and, and that the power of the Most High would over, no, no, she's like, what? You know, I don't know what her plan was, you know, get, get married to Joseph, raise a family, you know, maybe, you know, what, whatever it might be, it's not what God wanted for her. Are you okay with letting go of your dreams and your hopes and what you want? Because here's the thing. Mary had an unlikely response to God's plan. And I'm going to skip ahead to, the, to, to almost the end of, of where we're going to look at. Mary responded after, after the angel. And we'll back up and we'll see the other stuff the angel said. But I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. Mary wanted what God wanted. I think most of us, we want what we want. Some of us, we want what maybe our spouse wants or what our kids want or what, what someone else, a good friend of ours, you know. But to want what God wants, even when it, it basically takes your hopes and dreams and throws them in the trash, is completely different. Her life was not what she planned it to be. It was way better. You know, and we need to recognize that. What God wants for you is not to ruin your life. Even though you may be in the center of God's world and be completely confused right now and disturbed and afraid. She wanted what God wanted, even in the midst of all of that. And like Mary, you know, we need to trust God even when we're confused and disturbed and afraid. And uh, so we're just going to keep, keep reading the passage here. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. 
And then the angel just waxes eloquent here. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom will never end. And there's so much there that Gabriel's saying that I, have, I don't understand. You know, and there's so much, there's no way she would have understood. His kingdom is forever, and so what does that mean? And the Son of the Most High, that, that's a new title. Like, what do you mean the Son of the Most High? Uh, but, but I love Mary's response to the angel. It's so practical. I can just see her there, you know. <laughs> yes, question? Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And I went back and I read through it, and it actually... It doesn't, he doesn't really talk about a virgin birth. He just says, this is what's going to happen. So she's thinking, is this with Joseph? You know, I knew he was a nice guy, but, you know, this is, this is pretty amazing. And so then the angel goes on to explain even more. He says, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And... And I don't know what that really means, you know, so, so was it a zygote? Did he take her egg? We don't know, okay? This is all we know. And we know this is very different than the stories they told back in this day and age. Zeus, the, the head god of the Greek pantheon, he would, he would go off and, you know, just have sex with some woman or some goddess, and then they'd have a child. This, has no, this is nothing sensual. This is nothing sexual. This is nothing, if you're a child here, this is nothing gross, okay? You know, this, this is holy. This is amazing. This is miraculous. Talk about unlikely things in her life. This is beyond unlikely. This isn't a one in a million. This isn't a one in a trillion. This is a never thing. Okay, even, you know, my, my own daughters, you know, they're all grown and they're gone and out of the house. But, but if they had come to me as teenagers and said, Dad, I'm pregnant. No, but, but, but you need to understand, the Holy Spirit came upon me and the power of the Most High overshadowed me. And the one who's going to be born will be called the, I'd be like, mm, no. I mean, and, and even with, I, they were godly girls. They still are, but, you know, as teenagers, they were godly. I, they wouldn't lie to me. I, but even with all that, I still wouldn't have believed them. Why? Because it's not unlikely. It's impossible. Really? And yet, God wants to do the impossible in your life as well. I think some of us here, you know, we talk, we use the word impossible uh, in ways that this was impossible. We use the word impossible for things that are unlikely. It is impossible for God to heal and fix my marriage. Impossible. Right? Maybe you have a family member, a child or a parent or a brother. Man, for them to straighten out their lives and turn things around and, and follow God, impossible. Maybe personally you're here saying, you know, to have a life of peace and joy. Maybe to overcome the fears, the crippling fears I have in my life. Maybe the grief I'm going through right now. To have joy again, impossible. Let me just say those things are a lot more possible with God than having a virgin birth. <laughs> and if God can do this with Mary, he can do the impossible, what you think is impossible in your life but you need to respond the way Mary responded. And to say, not my will, 
And I want what I want, but I want what God wants. And then this next verse is probably the second biggest epiphany that I've had as I've been going through all these Christmas passages. Um, the first one being, you know, how, how she can be confused and afraid and disturbed. But this one is, is this information that the angel gives her, I think is really important. I think Mary really needs this. What's more, your relative Elizabeth. So, so some translations say cousin. The word cousin in the Greek language actually stands, it's kind of a broad word. It can mean just some kind of relative. So she could have been her aunt, could have been a second cousin. We don't know exactly. But your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And um, what, in fact, what, what the angel is saying here is he's telling Mary, in this situation that you're afraid in and you're confused and you don't know what's going on, it's very disturbing, you're not alone. The angel doesn't say Joseph's going to understand because Joseph didn't understand. And he, he planned on divorcing her. Now, engagement in Jewish culture then was such a significant promise and that, that you needed a, a written, you needed a legal document to not marry. And so he, Joseph was, we, we, we know from earlier in Matthew 1, later in Matthew 1, he was, he was considering that. He was going to divorce her. But then an angel appears to him as well and, and, and then... And then he doesn't. But so Joseph's not going to understand her at first. And honestly, being a guy, he's not really going to understand what's going on anyway. Right? We can't get pregnant. We don't know. But, but, but the angel's saying, I'm, I'm going to tell you about someone you need to be with right now, Mary. And that's Elizabeth. She's going through something miraculous too. And, and it's not a surprise that after the angel leaves... What does Mary do? A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived, and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. She, that's the first, and, and so what I want to just share with you today, and I think one of the things we can learn from this is that whatever you're going through, if you're confused here this morning, if you're disturbed, if you're afraid, God doesn't want you to go through that alone. You need to find your Elizabeth. And God has an Elizabeth that, he's, that, that he ha has in your life. And maybe it is a relative or maybe it's someone here at the church. This is one of the reasons why we have small groups. This is one of the reasons why when we have a baptism, we have food afterward. Stop and talk to people and get to know them and form friendships and try to, try to have relationships and, and find someone that, that will help you in those times when you feel like you're alone. And, you know, we, we have all sorts of friends, right? You have your Pittsburgh Steeler friends that cheer on the Steelers. You, you need spiritual friends that cheer you on spiritually, that you can talk about. Man, I am having doubts about whether God is even real. Can you talk to me about that? Can you pray with me? A few weeks ago, it just really touched my heart. At the end of the service, we have a time where if any of you, you want prayer, you can just come forward. And I think it was in our second service, a woman came forward and right over to here, didn't say a word, just grabbed the woman who was up front, who, who knew her, they were friends, and just started weeping and just cried. And that older woman just prayed for her 
And that, that's what we need. We need someone, we don't, we don't even maybe have the words that, to say, to express what's going on, but they're just going to come around us and encourage us and, and say, man, you're not alone. Yes, God is with you, but I'm with you too. And Elizabeth filled that part. And again, going back to this response of hers, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. And the angel left her. You know, if Mary didn't respond that way, it wouldn't have been Mary and Joseph. God would have used some other woman, but God knew her heart. He knew how she would respond. But here, she's basically giving God permission. You know, God won't force his will on you. He won't make you become a Christian and a follower of Jesus. He won't make you, after you've become a Christian, obey him. and do. He's not up there with this stick. And he, he is a gentleman. And if Mary didn't say, I'm on board... It wouldn't have happened. But what, what an example for us. Do you want an exciting life? You know, so often I think we think, what, what is God's plan for my life? His plan is that he has this big, huge rule book, and i got to follow all these boring rules and have this boring life. No. He's inviting you into an adventure, an adventure that's so much better than anything you could have possibly had planned for yourself. In fact, I want to close with a story, and it's out of a book written in 2001 by John Ortberg. The title is, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat. It's not a very short title, but it's very memorable. And in that story, he talk, in that book, he talks about one of the stories he shares is of Doug Coe. Doug Coe lived in Washington, D.C. and uh, was a follower of Jesus Christ. And at some point, there was a new believer in his life that he was trying to disciple. This new believer's name was Bob wasn't me, okay? And uh, he would meet with Bob on occasion. They'd talk about how to read God's Word, how to apply it to your lives, different truths about how to follow Jesus. And one, one day, Bob came in, and he was all excited, and he's like, can you believe this? I was reading in John 16, 24, right here. It says, you know, and, and I got to find John 16, 24. All right, he says, you haven't done this before, Jesus says. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy or your joy will be complete. And he's like, is that true? I can ask anything from God and I will receive it? And Doug's response was, well, you know, it's not a blank check. It has to be God's will. It has, you have to want what God wants. It has to be something good that God knows is good. But yeah, if you ask for something and it's good and it's what God wants, he will give it to you. You will receive it. And he's like, all right, well, I am going to pray then for Africa. And he's like, why Africa? Well, I just want to pray for Africa. And, he's, and so Doug said, well, you know what? Why don't we be a little bit more specific? God, you know, general prayers are fine, but God likes it when we're a little more specific. So let's, let's narrow that down a little. He's like, fine, I'll pray for Kenya. And we have some people in our church who just recently went to Kenya and saw some kids there and involved in a ministry. And so he's like, I'm going to pray for Kenya. And so Doug's like, oh, wow. So do you know anyone in Kenya? No. Have you ever been to Kenya? No. But Bob decided to pray for Kenya. And Doug had an unusual, you know, discipleship creativity ideas. And so he said, here's the deal. You pray for Kenya every day for six months. And if something unlikely doesn't happen, if something extraordinary doesn't happen, I'll pay you 500 bucks. But, and this is like, you know, back in the 80s or 90s, so that $500 was 
more than it's worth now. And so, but he said, but on the other hand, if, if something unlikely does happen, if something unusual does happen, then you pay me $500. But if you skip one day and you don't pray for Kenya every single day for six months, the deal's off and none of us owe anything to each other. And so they shook on it. They said, absolutely, let's do that. And so Bob started praying for Kenya and nothing happened for weeks. And then he was at a dinner and, you know, I don't know, it was a fundraising event for something. It had nothing to do with Africa or anything. And, and at the table, you know, you're seated with people you don't know. You kind of go around and introduce each other. And, and Bob was an insurance salesman, so not politically connected at all, no, no, no international connections. But then this woman at the table, they're going around. The woman says, well, what I do is I am the head of the largest orphanage in Kenya. And Bob saw $500, like, <laughs> just starting to fly away. But it didn't bother him. He thought, this is exciting. And he started peppering her with questions, like, where is it? And how did you do that? And what, what is that about? And, all. and she's, like, taken back. And she says, well, you know, you seem so fascinated and interested in Kenya. Have you ever been to Kenya? No. Do you know anyone in Kenya? No. Well, why are you so interested in Kenya? Well, I made this $500 bet. <laughs> with another guy, and he explained, and she said, well, you need to come to Kenya and visit our orphanage, and if he could have gone that night, he would, but he didn't, and it took some time. He had to take off of work, but eventually, he got to Kenya to visit the orphanage, and he was just so impressed by what they were doing, and he came back to the United States, and he just couldn't forget about it. He just couldn't let it go, and so he just was thinking, you know what I need to do? is I know that there are pharmaceutical companies in the United States that they, when their medicine expires, they just throw it away. And I don't know if you know this, but there's some medicine that expires. When it expires, you need to throw it away. But then there's other medicine that it, it really isn't, it doesn't go bad, but, but they have to discard it. And so what he thought is, I'm going to write these pharmaceutical companies letters and encourage them, instead of throwing it away, to give it to this orphanage in Kenya because there's medical needs there, and that would be a huge help, and they could help distribute it to other, other kids and other people in the country. And so he, he started this letter-writing campaign. And then after a while, the, the president of this orphanage in Kenya, she calls him up and says, you wouldn't believe the gifts we have gotten through your letters. And, and they've been so sizable and so significant, we're going to hold this big celebration at our orphanage, and we want you to be the guest of honor. Would you come back? And so a man who had never been to Kenya until not that long before and had never known anyone in Kenya got on a plane for a second time to go back to this orphanage and be a part of this great celebration of what God had done there. And while he was there, because it was the largest orphanage in Kenya, the president of Kenya came to that celebration. And afterward, he came to Bob and he said, Bob, would you like to take a tour of Nairobi, the capital, with me? Bob said, sure. When the president of a nation asks you to take a tour, you say yes. And so he goes with him, and he's showing him around in the palace and all these things. And they come to this one place. They're driving by, and he says, what's that? He says, oh, that's a, that's a prison, and we have some of our political prisoners are there. And Bob said to the president, oh, political prisoners, that's bad. You shouldn't have, well, what should we do with political prisoners? Oh, you should let them go. Remember, no political, no political background this guy has. So, you know, the president keeps driving, you know, or whoever's driving the car with the president, and they keep going. And, and then he gets home, Bob gets home to the United States, and a couple days later, he gets a call 
this is the State Department of the United States of America. Is this Bob? <laughs> it's like, yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yeah. Did you talk to the president of Kenya while you, that you were there about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say to him? I told him it was a bad idea and he should let him go. The State Department went on to explain to him that they had tried through diplomatic channels to get these prisoners released for years and had hit blockade after blockade and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they were all released and the president's office said that the person they should thank was Bob. <laughs> An insurance salesman, you know. And so the, the State Department was just calling to say thank you. And a number of months passed and Bob got another call from the president of Kenya. And he said, I'm, I'm changing my, my um, cabinet. I'm just forming a new cabinet. And I wondered if you could fly over here and pray for me as I choose my new advisors for my new government. And so Bob, with no political connections, <laughs> for the third time, flew over to Kenya to pray with the president of that nation. God has an adventure for you and for your life. If, if you would just respond the way Mary responds, you know, what, you know what my plans for my life was? Super exciting. Math teacher. I know, I know, it would have been way better than this, you know? Way more exciting and, you know, just math. Um, God has an adventure for you. But you just need to trust him and trust him when you're confused. You don't know what he's doing. When you're afraid. There's a lot to be afraid about today, isn't there? When you're disturbed, there's a lot to be disturbed about. But we need to trust him. And not only is that true of all of us who are followers of Christ here, but if you're here and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never asked him to forgive you and pay for your sins through his death on the cross, and if you've never said, I want you to be my leader, my Lord and master. That's the first step in this great adventure of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to close the sermon today by praying a prayer of salvation like that. So if you've never done that, pray along with me. And if you have done that, maybe recommit your life to this great adventure God is calling you into. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for sending Jesus Christ to the earth as a baby in Mary's womb, but then to grow up and to die on the cross for me. And God, I admit and I recognize that I am a sinner. And I just ask that you would punish Jesus instead of me, that he would 2,000 years ago take what I deserve, my hell, upon himself. And God, out of gratitude for that, and because you accept me and love me, I want to give you my life. Help me to follow you from this day forward. I want you, I want Jesus to be my Lord. God, I want you, my heavenly Father, to be my master. Help me to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.